This is episode number 126 of the Paleo Women Podcast. Welcome to the Paleo Women Podcast. I'm your co-host, Noelle Tarr, a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. And with me is my partner in crime, Stephanie Ruper, author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature. This show is the place to be if you're a fan of moderately amusing banter and uninhibited real talk relating to health, nutrition, fitness, body image, and just about everything in between. While hanging out with us, please remember the information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and should not be used in place of medical advice or treatment. Now, let's have some fun. So I actually, last episode, Stephanie, we talked about your your new dis, non-love, hate, maybe not hatred, because that's a strong word, but uh, your <laughs> non-infatuation with apples, like you can't even. Oh, um, uh, yeah. And then, and then you're eating potatoes. <laughs> I just never thought I'd see the day. Um, so, so what made you? Why did you? Why did you change? Well, uh, um, I knew that the day would come eventually. I've gone through my whole life. I've been kind of like an all or nothing person. You know, you find a song you like, you listen to it like a hundred times, and then mm. you're done. <laughs> um. So I've I've gone through food phases, you know. Uh, no, I remember. I remember. Are you <laughs> shut up? <laughs> I, I remember, like there was a frozen pizza phase. There was a um, cinnamon raisin bagel phase. Oof, you know, there I was like a nachos phase. phase. Yeah, there were a lot of phases. Um, there was a special K with uh, red berries phase. Yes. Oh, that was uh, intense for my mother's wallet. It's so true. There's like two calories in a serving. It's like right, and like eight ninety nine right. a box. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, apples. All right. Uh, let's be real, Paleo Women podcast. <clears throat> apples were a crutch in my quest to maintain a low body fat percentage for a very long time, and I always knew it. Uh, They were one of the few foods I could eat that I knew would not um, make me gain weight. Uh, Apples are on that list and, uh, you know, low carb vegetables are on that list. Um, Also, you know, I've had a lot of trouble. uh, Everybody knows, lots of people know um, with potassium, given some kidney issues that I've had because of a drug I once took. Uh, medication I once took. To be clear, sometimes I say that to people and they're like, was it acid? <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> Spironolactone, but yeah. thanks. Um, and so there was a pretty, you know, limited range of things that I, I felt like I could eat because of my health concerns as well as my desire to maintain a low body fat percentage. Uh, and then uh, I just I just got sick of it. And I decided that I wanted to um, accept some weight gain and be able to eat more things. And once I made that decision and started eating more things, I was like, oh, yeah, this is way better than having 12 apples a day, you know, way better. Um, 12 apples a day is a reference to something I once said at Paleo FX um, on a panel I want to say that I didn't 
literally have 12 apples a day, but some days I did, you know, back in the day and the not so far back in the day that I could pretend was back in the day, but really isn't, you know, maybe a year or two ago. Uh, so for the last couple of months I have, um, you know, I spent some time in France and I mentioned the other week that I was eating a couple baguettes a day, you know, um, I've been eating hummus, I've been eating quinoa, um, potatoes, lots of gnocchi. I don't know why I like it a lot. Um, it's because like interesting textures are so foreign to my diet, (laughs) uh, because I've eaten like nothing but raw fruit and like some animal products here and there, you know, I ate that for a really long time. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm really loving it and apples aren't really doing it for me. And here's an interesting bit that I don't want to jinx by talking about it because every time, I find that I have found in the past that uh, I would like talk about something, you know, that was positive happening for my health and then it would go away. Not like talking about it, you know, not like the jinx is real, but maybe it's a little bit real. Anyway, um, I have (laughs) I've kind of been fasting. (laughs) Um, So I've been eating like two meals a day, maybe three, about 10 hours apart. And, um, recently I've been kind of like low carbing a little bit. My first meal of the day today, I was so paleo. You ever have a meal where you're like, <laughs> I'm so paleo, you know? Uh, Absolutely. Um, I had liver cooked in coconut oil and kimchi and an avocado and just like, you know, I'm like, this is yes. paleo. Um, yeah. so I've been like lower ish carb um in my earlier meal and then in my later meal i'll eat things like um uh potatoes and uh veggies and meat and stuff of course uh and fat coconut you know trying to have a lot of coconut in my diet recently and i will say that since switching from more fruit-based carbs to slightly more starchy-based carbs i have been sleeping better uh, which is huge for me. And I'm curious why, you know, I would wake up in the middle of the night and have to eat and be hungry. And I don't know if that's, be- I don't think it's because I wasn't eating enough calories. I wonder if it's because fructose has been shown to stimulate the appetite a little bit. And so I'm curious if that was a part of it. You know, I'm not sure if um, blood sugar or insulin was wrapped up in it, but for some reason, now that I'm eating starchier carbs, um, and there's a little bit more fat in my diet than there used to be, but not really. You know, I'm still on the moderate to lower end in terms of fat intake. Um, I'm sleeping like eight hours for the last uh, week or so. I've slept eight or nine hours every night. Um, and like woke up straight and been like, through? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my I know. gosh. What I time? Know. Wait, wait, deal. wait. What time are you going to sleep? Like 6 a.m. In, in the morning? Yeah, but like I last night I went to bed. Well, I tried to go to bed around five thirty, and I had a hard, I had trouble falling asleep, and uh, so I got up and ate more, and then I fell asleep probably around eight, and I slept until three thirty today. I slept from eight until three thirty, like completely. This is when people are at work doing things. I was sleeping, but I woke up at three thirty after having slept, you know, seven and a half, eight hours, and I was like, damn, like this is the stuff. I feel so good right now. Sleeping like an eight hour chunk is uh, it's it's really nice. It's wonderful. And 
Yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, man, six hours is tough. And then, you know, often in my life, I've gotten four and I'm like, man, that's really tough. You know, I feel like eight hours is kind of spoiling me right now. And I really don't want to jinx it because it's so nice. It's so nice. Yeah. Um, but these things have all been happening. And I have been waiting to talk about it on the podcast because I don't understand exactly what's causing what. You know, is it calorie intake? Is it the meal timing schedule? Is it switching from fruits to starch? Is it adding a little bit more fat? Like I'm uncertain precisely what it is that's making the change. Also, my keratosis pilaris is going away. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. I haven't had it at all. I, but I can't tell like what is what, um, uh, in terms of like, is it pregnancy related or is it because I'm just chillaxing way more? But, hmm, this is so interesting. And I really actually appreciate you being so honest with your experience um, because you've always been pretty open and honest about your your eating habits and your mindset and that sort of thing. But I mean, I think this is a huge still another shift. And we're, we both are still developing and growing as individuals. And, you know, this past year for me, it's been interesting because. I didn't actually work out at all during pregnancy besides doing some basic walking, doing all my physical therapy. But um, I kind of had this idea that like, how could you not work out during pregnancy? You're preparing for labor, which is like the biggest endurance event of your life. Um, but it just it's just not right for my body. And it had it, it, it like once I kind of came to that realization that I was just expo- like trying to expose myself to too much stress. And the best thing I could do for myself is not work out, not care about like, you know, whatever, how much activity I've done um, and do what feels best for me and kind of work out, you know, move intuitively, which sometimes that means not moving at all or not moving for days. Um, It's just, it's so interesting to see how your body responds. And, um, you know, like in general, I I couldn't have asked for more this this pregnancy um and it's it's almost shocking to me and then I feel I feel like you probably feel the same way but it's almost shocking to me how my body responds so well despite not being hyper focused on making sure that I move or making sure that I eat all the right things or making sure that I don't eat you know x y and z because that usually doesn't do well for me and so like being able to just kind of relax into things and not be so hyper-focused. I mean, still, of course, doing the things, like you said, sometimes you're just so paleo. Um, you do all the things that are right for your body, but uh, it's just kind of shocking to me. <laughs> I still am like, huh, you know, like this all worked out really well. Um, of course, I'm intentional in some areas, but like it just, it's kind of, it still amazes me how well a body responds when it's not just overloaded uh, and stressed. So... Yeah. And it's it's really remarkable to me how subtle changes in my diet make such a big difference. You know, it's it's kind of scary. You know, I'm like, what yeah. else is going on that I don't know about? You know, I, I try not to think about it. How about um, the sulfur containing things? Have you have you stopped? That? Well, I haven't. I had one moment last week where after like I had a whole bowl of zucchini. And then at the very end, I had like a moment where I was like, oh. God, oh God, gross. Um, but zucchini has no sulfur in it at all, which I am so puzzled by. I haven't tried eggs in ages. Um, I have leafy greens from time to time, and and they seem to, to be okay. Hmm. 
But the thought of them is off-putting. Like thinking about them now is making me feel a little bit sick. And yeah. I, I don't know if that's just because of the history or whatnot. I'm, I want to play with it, but I want to, I don't know, the sleep thing feels really important right now. So I'm focusing on that. Um, and I'll, I'll play more with the, with the sulfur stuff. I'm thinking maybe I should get a water filter. I tell you my theory about London water. <laughs> no, please do tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was reading about the MTHFR gene mutations. Yeah. And I have one called CBS. And, uh, when you have this one, sometimes having an overabundance of sulfur in your diet is bad. Um, and people who have it, sometimes eating low sulfur helps them. And I'm one of them. So I'm like, okay, cool. But historically I've always been fine. I also have an MTHFR mutation that sort of like balances the problem in the detox pathway. So having both of these sort of cancels each other out, which is kind of nice. And so it's always, I think worked, but all of, all of a sudden I was thinking maybe now it's not working. What has changed? And I found out that you can develop an intolerance to sulfur if your ammonia levels in your blood are too high. And I was like, huh, how could I get ammonia in my diet? And I thought, I wonder if there's ammonia in my water. So then I did some research and I found out that London is higher concentrations of ammonia in its water than other places. Hmm. So I was wondering if, because I noticed that eating Leafy greens and eggs here made me sick, but when I ate them in Paris and when I ate them in the States, I was okay, I thought. So then I thought that maybe my problem is actually the London water, which is increasing ammonia concentrations in my blood, which is making it hard for me as somebody with this gene mutation to tolerate sulfur. Also, it's possible hmm. there's a gut flora issue, but um, I'm, I'm not... I don't know. I've been doing a lot. I've I've never really had gut flora issues and I've been doing a lot of probiotic stuff and not seeing any difference. So anyway, water filter time, water filter time. Yep. Oh, there's a blog. There's a post on my blog that says I have a water filter. I don't. I used to. But in London, I, I you know, I never got one here. So oh, you're such a liar. <laughs> I'm such a liar. <laughs> there's a blog post that says I have a water filter. But that was published several years ago, yeah. just so y'all know. If any, you know, because every once in a while change. you say something online and they're like, you're contradicting yourself. I know. <laughs> I know. People know. <laughs> People know. Um, I think that would be worth it. That's really interesting. Huh? Huh? So, um, just change, changes. I think, um, I've been pretty sad lately because I, we're just not, I just haven't been able to find pink ladies, and I usually get them at Trader Joe's, and Trader Joe's has not had them for, like, the last few weeks, and I can't eat apples unless they are pink ladies. Like, it just is so off-putting, so I have been grabbing raspberries, so regularly eating raspberries in the morning, because I pretty much, like you said, uh, I've always done this, but I eat a very, I typically focus very high-fat, high-protein in the morning. If I do anything else, I sometimes do. Sometimes I'll have like a, there's this awesome bread that I love. You'll find it in the freezer section. I always get questions about this. You can find it in the freezer section, but it's sprouted. I can't, gosh, I, I'll figure out the name of it. It's like, maybe it's Garden of Life or something, but it's that sprouted bread that, you know, a lot of people have eaten before, but it's, they don't, they keep their gluten-free versions not in the freezer. 
the gluten-free virgins are in the freezer. And so sometimes I'll have like an egg sandwich, you know, with that thing in the mornings on the weekends. And I typically do really well. But for the most part, if I go outside of that and I eat like maybe a homemade muffin or something that I made, I just never feel well. So I'm always a high protein, high fat person for the morning. And I try to then like slowly introduce that's when I then move to like an apple with some almond butter for like my next snack because, you know, snacks. But lately it's been the raspberries. So because I can't find my pink ladies, it's very hard. (laughs) Wow, your life is so hard. It is really hard. There's nothing else going on except for the fact that I can't find my pink ladies. (laughs) <laughs> um uh, well maybe yeah. it's time for you to move on maybe not how about that <laughs> i want to move on <laughs> you know what i'm excited about those farm farmers market se- season is started so although apples don't show up till later but um i love experimenting with seasonal fruits everybody get out to your local farmers market <laughs> okay Any of them around do you guys have you have them in london i'm sure Yes, I've never gone to one because they close before I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> They're far away from me, too. There's, I don't think there's any in my area. Um, yeah. Okay, so we are going to jump into questions, I believe. You don't have any announcements, do you? Uh, no. Besides all the ones you just made. Um, <laughs> we have, we're going to actually do the question from last week um, that was ketosis-related. And then we're going to jump into two other questions. So are you ready to go? Yes, please. This podcast is brought to you by Sunbasket, one of the resources I've become dependent on as life has quickly become harder to manage and there never seems to be enough time in the day. Sunbasket makes it easy to cook delicious gluten-free or paleo meals in your own kitchen in just 30 minutes or less. You'll get organic non-GMO ingredients sent directly to your door in a nice pretty little box. And each meal comes with pre-measured fresh ingredients so there's no waste, hassle, or grocery shopping. And now Sunbasket offers gluten-free family meal options, making it easy to customize to your needs. As a special offer for our community, Sunbasket is offering three free meals with your first order. To get this special deal, go to sunbasket.com slash paleowomen or check the show notes to click directly on this link. Again, that's sunbasket.com slash paleowomen to get three totally free, easy to prepare meals with your first order. Question number one is from Kalinda. Hello, ladies. I enjoy your podcast. I listen to it every week, even when I don't feel like listening to a health or fitness podcast. This is so funny, Kalinda, because I actually don't listen to health or fitness podcasts either. Um, instead, when you, I guess when you host your own and you, you run a health and fitness, you know, business, it gets a little overwhelming, but I feel you. I sometimes it's just like, I don't want to listen to another one. Uh, instead, your show is like listening to my homegirls chat for that. I thank you. I also I am a homegirl. You are a homegirl. I also thank you in advance for your help with this problem. Even if it does not make it on the show, I'd appreciate you sending me a response because I'm stumped. Girl, we got your back. I have been eating a ketogenic diet for two years, I believe, in the science of ketosis, despite the fact that there are few studies that have been done specifically with women. I just, I want it to be my solution, so I've been eating loads of meats and vegetables and quality fats. After becoming familiar with your show and with the philosophy, 
philosophies of a few others who work in education I respect. Paul Jaminet is one I hold up with you ladies. I decided to incorporate more carbs into my diet. Hence the problem. I seem to have developed a carbohydrate intolerance. Every time I eat more than 20 grams of carbs at a time, my head feels spacey and my glucose levels spike. I never had elevated glucose prior to eating keto, and I only had a glucometer because it's part of the crazy world of keto. I knew something was off and testing showed me something was off. My fasting glucose eating keto used to be in the 80s, and now it's over 100, and my glucose after eating a meal with protein, veggies, and fat, and maybe a small sweet potato or a half a cup of white rice or some lentils is between 150 to 200 milligrams per deciliter. I am assuming she means two hours post. My fasting insulin and hemoglobin A1Cs are both under pre-diabetic range. I had them tested last week, yet I believe eating keto has made me carb intolerant. Other symptoms. I have GI upset, fatigue. Since I noticed the carb intolerance, I've also developed a really severe fatigue, insomnia. Though recently I slept through the night for the first time in years, I still feel fatigued through the day. Subclinical hypothyroidism that does not respond to thyroid meds. My current doctor believes my adrenals have tanked, and I think he is right. I know that I desperately need some glucose in my body, but it's a major catch-22. Strategies I have tried have very low iron. I have a few other markers indicating anemia as well. Uh, Low sediment rate, elevated B12, and I recently started taking additional B vitamins and iron. I've also had a lot of blood work done, and everything seems mostly in range. My questions are, did eating keto break me? Number two, how the hell do I fix this when the very food that I need creates problems? Number three, what else would you test to get a proper diagnosis? Number four, what would you do in the meantime? Risk elevated glucose or risk further glucose deficiency? I'd have to say I'm team Honeycrisp apple, but I can't eat the apples. I've never been sick. It scares me. (laughs) Now Stephanie loves you. Thanks for sharing your brain power. Um, First and foremost... Paul Jaminet is vastly superior to uh, me <laughs> as a person. Uh, just putting that out there. He's a fantastic human being. I really highly recommend his blog, uh, perfecthealthdiet.com. Is he still blog and do the things? I'm not sure. I was there a week or two ago. Um, I think it's been a, a, a little while, like a month or two since he's put something up, but um, not too long. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I've done uh, I've done some reading about this, uh, and mostly, actually, what I've found useful is um, checking out people's experiences uh, because this actually happens a lot. Uh, okay, so we talked about ketosis in our last podcast, and uh, we touched on this briefly. If you want to go take a listen, but basically. Um, The thing about eating really low carb, um, especially for people who are slender or within like what we would call normal, I'm using air quotes, normal body fat percentages, um, is they can develop insulin resistance on a ketotic or a very low carbohydrate diet. Uh, This is because the body, like uh, without a source of, you know, glucose coming in, um, really wants the glucose to hang around once you eat it. You know, typically if you're eating sugar, 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 your body's going to make a lot of insulin and try to get it out really fast. So it actually ends up being the case 
typically, if you have low inflammation levels and a healthy metabolism and what have you, that people who eat more carbohydrates are actually more insulin sensitive because the body is good. It has a lot of practice of getting the, you know, the carbs out as quickly as possible. Now, of course, this can go wrong and you're going to need a lot of insulin to make this happen. And that's what insulin resistance often is for people. But if you're not eating carbs, when you have just a little bit, your body's like, ooh, blood sugar, we're going to keep this around. And so you're a little bit insulin insensitive. And this, again, can uh, they call this non-pathological or physiological insulin resistance. And this is because it's not necessarily a health problem. It's just a normal bodily response to not having carbs in the body. But it can it can be problematic, obviously, you know, for when uh, when you want to bring carbs back in, especially if carbs are necessary. And I, you know, I would say that for many people, including you, they very well might be. So then, you know, what do you do about it? Um, I think the thing to do is a to try and make sure that your gut is as healthy as possible. You know, you said you have a GI upset. Um, it is also true that if you're not eating prebiotic foods like onions, leeks, uh, Jerusalem artichokes, uh, if you're not eating foods that gut bacteria like to eat, and if you're not eating foods that, you know, contain gut bacteria like uh, probiotics, you know, fermented foods, yogurt, kimchi, what have you, kombucha, um, and the fibers in regular fruits and vegetables that gut bacteria like to eat, your gut bacteria population can decline. So if you've been in ketosis for a long time, it's possible that you need to work on replenishing your gut flora population, like quite a bit. Um for the sake of your gut health and for the sake of your insulin sensitivity, that's, I would focus on this like a lot. Um, I would be sure to include, you can include prebiotic foods and probiotic foods in your diet and keep your blood sugar really low. You know, um, having some onions and some sauerkraut, you know, having some kombucha, having some, um, kimchi in your diet, right? These probiotic foods, they're all low GI. So they should be, you know, pretty, uh, pretty safe for you in terms of your blood glucose levels. I think working on that uh, could be hugely important. You also might want to try some resistant starch, um, which uh, I think you can get as a supplement, but you can also get just from uh, cooking rice or potatoes and cooling them down then eating them cold or uh, having a couple bites of a green banana every day, actually. And this resistant starch, it's called resistant because it gets all the way through your intestines to like the end, which is where the gut bacteria are, and then they can eat it and they're super happy, you know, um, and they like it a lot. And in fact, this resistant starch has been shown to really help um, improve insulin sensitivity uh, in all sorts of patients, you know, and especially people who struggle with diabetes and uh, obesity. So, um, so that's the thing. I would also reintroduce carbohydrates uh, very slowly. You know, you're looking at um, half a cup of white rice, you're looking at sweet potatoes. Um, that's okay. I would start with even less. I wouldn't start with something that's like, those are glucose dense foods. You know, they're just, they're carbs. I would start with vegetables. You know, I would start with greens, uh, onions, uh, like I mentioned, Jerusalem artichokes, leeks, um, these 
gut healthy, you know, prebiotic foods. I would also, um, you know, slowly inch into things like carrots and beets, uh, red peppers, eggplants, that sort of thing. I would start there uh, for a couple weeks and then slowly move up. You know, I'm talking, like I mentioned in lab, last podcast, 20 grams of carbs a week. Um, I wouldn't jump into a high glycemic food right away um, after being in ketosis for a couple of years. And especially given the, you know, experiences you've had testing, um, you know, your blood sugar levels. Uh, I've been talking for a while. Uh, what do you think, love? <laughs> Um, I, this is a really hard one. I, of course, you know, as we prepped for the podcast, I was doing, trying to find some research and solid information on, is there any research that shows doing, you know, long-term ketogenic, following this protocol leads to a carb intolerance of some sort where then you just cannot tolerate any sort of carbohydrate. And which becomes pretty problematic for people who have issues relating to, you know, that maybe their body isn't responding in the best way. And so um, there's like UNO study, like one, and it's on rats. And it's just basically showed that long-term ketogenic diets, we'll link to in the show notes, it caused uh, glucose intolerance. Um, and so it showed that while... These, ri- these rice, these mice had um, initial weight loss. They didn't have any weight loss after 22 weeks, and they eventually developed this um, glucose intolerance. And while folk in the keto communities would say, "Oh, well, huh, we're not we're not mice," um, I will say a lot of the studies that people um, you know use to talk about how sugar is just the devil and terrible for you are done on mice. And so mice, you know, studies are just preliminary studies and research um, that we use to then further move on and do other more high quality research on people. And so um, not to say that this doesn't have its place, but that's the only thing that I could find in relation to that besides people's personal experience like yours, Kalinda. And so I think all of Stephanie's recommendations are great. I think, you know, slowly and incrementally trying to add carbohydrates back in. I think doing so, you know, experimenting very closely with what carbohydrates work best for you. And if you can find just kind of that one that that does well for you, you know, slowly working with that one initially. And at the same time, really making sure that you're working on supporting your adrenals. I think that your doctor is probably right on. And so if you can do things to support your adrenals in the meantime, you know, with supplementation, I think that would be awesome. Um, and so we can kind of, you know, work on adrenal health, work on trying to find some sort of carbohydrate that works for you. You can do the glucose testing to test your in, your co- tolerance to individual car- carbohydrates, see if you can find one that maybe would work for you. And then slowly and incrementally trying to see if maybe that um, that ends up, you know, you, you end up having a better response over time. Uh, definitely gut health at the same time. I would recommend potentially uh, looking into seeing doing any testing for um, a gut infection and making sure that that's you know there's nothing in it, a specific gut infection because there very well could be um, especially if you've you know if if now you're having this GI upset I would make sure that there's no specific 
but um bacteria that's over like overgrowing or somehow out of balance and a lot of functional medicine practitioners can do a test um where by which you'll be able to figure out like if you know what's the ratio of a bunch of different bacteria in your gut and is anything out of balance and then what antibiotics specific gut um antibiotics you can use to treat that um what else would you get tested? Uh, I think your doctor sounds like he knows what he's talking about, but I would definitely do the, like, maybe test your cortisol levels, see how that's that's rolling. Um, but that's it. That's it. That's all I got. I think you had some good recommendations. It's very frustrating because there's really not a lot of information out there about that, but I, but I do know that people do deal with it, um, and it's something that's on the interwebs, something to look out for, so... Yeah. Okay. Question number two is from Sierra. Hey, Noel and Stephanie, your podcast is amazing. I enjoy listening to both your lovely voices every week. I have two questions. The first is about what to do and when you, when you don't feel like exercising. About two months ago, I was advised to take, I don't know what that is, a Burbine supplement, 400 milligrams twice a day as part of a Candida cleanse. Okay. This is kind of irrelevant, but I experienced a week of die-off consisting of fatigue, weakness, post-nasal drip, headaches, and eventually vomiting. So fun. I obviously didn't feel like exercising, but since then I haven't exercised once. Usually I would lift weights three times a week, but now the thought of exercise just doesn't appeal to me. How can I get back into it? I feel a bit better not exercising and feel as though maybe my body needs the rest and I'm dealing with a lot of gut issues. But I also think I need to do at least something. Any advice in regards to B6? I recently heard on another health-related podcast that women who have taken birth control, the birth control pill, will forever be B6 dependent and must supplement. I've purchased a B complex by Thorn. I'm in Australia. Is it true that we must supplement with B6? If so, could you recommend a good brand and is a complex better than just a B6? Thanks in advance. Interesting. Um, okay. So the uh, berberine is uh, rumored to be uh, an insulin sensitizing agent. I don't know much about it. Um or its relationship to candida. Um, but that's a thing. Um, and it is often uh, compared to uh, metformin. Um, so, uh, knee exercise. Uh, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Listen to your body. Um, I think what you're going through in terms of this uh, die off, so to speak, um, or whatever it is that's happening to you. Um, if it's asking your body to not exercise, then that's okay. You know, that it will come back to you. You know, like Noelle was saying on the podcast last week, uh, throughout pregnancy, she hasn't particularly felt like moving much at all. And so she didn't, and it's working great. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I spent, I know Noel did too. We both spent a lot of time in our uh, younger years <laughs> um, forcing our bodies to be athletic when we were getting signals not to be, you know, um, whether it was uh, joint pain or fatigue or just like generally feeling like, ugh, I don't want to go do that. Um, I still, I always, I pushed through it because I felt like I had to exercise. Otherwise, um, 
I would gain weight, I would be immoral, you know, I would be lazy, whatever kind of thing I, uh, whatever kind of misguided thing I was uh, thinking at the time. Um, so yeah, if your body, uh, if you feel like you need the rest, go ahead and take it. Um, if you feel like you need to do something, all caps, something, um, there are plenty of gentle things you can do, you know, go for a, a walk in your neighborhood. If that doesn't feel like enough, uh, find somewhere you can walk uphill. <laughs> um, maybe stand when you, I don't know if you have a desk job, but standing when you work often feels kind of like a workout to me, you know, get one of those bouncy balls to sit on. Um, you could try some, you know, yoga. That's a very calming way to be a little bit active. Pilates, if you want something a little bit uh, more strenuous and uh, stay home, maybe if you want do some body weight stuff, you know, stretch, um, Maybe do some uh, light uh, push-ups, you know, with your knees on the ground, that sort of thing. Um, or maybe get a resistance band, you know, and, and play around with that. Those are sort of the kinds of things that I would do. Or, uh, I, I, well, I would go dancing. We all know. But those are some other things I would look into doing. Um Women who've taken the birth control pill will forever be B6-dependent and must supplement. Uh, no, um, there are certain uh, vitamins that you can become deficient in on the birth control pill. And in fact, I seem to remember, I remember vaguely writing a blog post, but I, I, I haven't thought of it in so long. I wrote a blog post recently about potential nutrient deficiencies that happen around the, when you're on the pill. The list is pretty long. There's nine actually. of them. I just looked it up. Nine important nutrient deficiencies caused by the pill. B6 is on that list. Paleoforwomen.com? <laughs> yes, paleoforwomen.com. I wrote that. It's so funny, yeah, audience. You did. Um, that sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder about this idea, and I'll Google it, and a blog post I wrote that I don't even remember is the first answer. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, oh, goodness, you know? Um, so, yes, uh, B6 is on there. Um I'm in Australia. I, is it true? Uh, yes, no, I well, can. Uh, I can read it. B six. Uh, yeah, <laughs> B six is crucial for many bodily functions, especially for protein metabolism. Hormonal birth control has been under fire with respect to B six since the '60s, when it was found that women taking pills has evidence of a vitamin B six deficiency. In fact, seventy five percent of women taking birth control pills may have insufficient B six. Um, it's another, it's associated with thrombosis. This is another reason, along with zinc, that birth control pills may be associated with blood clotting and other coagulation risks. So, you know, of course, eating foods high in B6 will help to negate that. You gave that too, and then linked to a B-complex supplement. Um, yeah. Because, well, the, was- the problem is, too, is that there's... Like, and this is the catch-22, which I find very, you know, interesting. Um... You can, it's associated with um, B12 deficiency. It's associated with a B9 deficiency, which is folate. And, um, you know, there's been some research on that. And when you come off the birth control pill and then you like want to get pregnant and you're folate deficient, I mean, that's just like the worst place you want to be, you know? So, yeah, I mean, yeah, not fun. But yes, there are, we'll link to this post in the show notes, which is, nine specific uh, nutrient deficiencies caused by the pill. Uh, yes, I would probably go the route as I think I, as I think I discuss in the blog post. Um, 
I like food, you know, I would go for B6 uh, rich foods. Um, but if, if you're really concerned or, you know, especially if you want to get pregnant when you come off the pill, then I would definitely supplement. Just make sure it's a good one. Yeah, I don't think um, it's, it's a sorry. bad idea. She asked if a complex was better. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, but also, you know, if the pill is simply robbing you of B6 and not other B vitamins, then um, it's pretty safe to supplement just with B6. Um, but you can't go wrong with a B complex. Uh, so long as you don't experience side effects, you know, the body um, tends to flush out excess B vitamins um, pretty easily. So it's you're not at a huge risk for health problems if you take a B supplement but or a B complex. Um, but again, B vitamins play a pretty big role in, in modulating sleep and energy. And so some people find that they develop sleep problems if they take, you know, a high dose B vitamin supplement. So I would just be wary of that. Yeah, I think, you know, there are, there are definite nutrient deficiencies to be aware of when you're on the birth control pill. And if that's what you're you're on and, and you want to optimize your health and all the things, um, you know, eating foods very rich in B6 is a great place to start. Of course, the animal proteins, the, you know, grass-fed beef, tuna, chicken, eggs, salmon, you know, that's a great place to start. Um, if you're eating whole food sources like certain carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, I know have B6, uh, leafy greens do. And especially if you are trying to make sure that your B9 is still up, you know, especially if we're talking about if you have some sort of MTHFR mutation that already would put you in a deficiency, I think taking um, a B-complex might be a good idea, but also really focusing in on leafy greens, including those in your diet. And then, um, you know, sure, take the B-complex. And as you get, when you get off the pill, kind of really make sure that you're still optimizing your health with the nutrient-dense foods, and if you are considering getting pregnant, you know, when you get off the pill, which I think that's why some people do eventually get off the pill, um, you know, I recommend taking a prenatal. That would probably be a good place to start that has some sort of methylated folate in that and do that for two to three months um, just so you can make sure that you've kind of bulked up your folate stores. The exercise question, I think you nailed it, Stephanie, you nailed it. Um which is uh, two months over the grand scheme of your life is has zero effect on, you know, your overall health as a human being. And in fact, I think taking off in this case is actually going to only promote health and give you more balance. So if you're just looking like I feel like some people um, write in and want permission, you have all the permission in the world to continue to take off. Don't let it, you know, don't let that get into your brain and and somehow oh i you know i'm two months 15 days and i haven't worked out just chill like if you don't feel that into it then don't force yourself let your body you know take take the ride with your body let it start to come back to health there's a reason you're not feeling it right now if you want to do something the recommendation stephanie made is great get outside just even if that's like i don't want to do that just maybe just go for a half a mile make sure you're out in the sunshine 
and maybe take a podcast to listen to, you know, just to kind of like get in some fresh air and see if that starts to kind of lift your spirits again. And then you can see if you, you know, you can start walking a little longer and sure, you know, home workouts. Great. I have a program. It's called Strong From Home. Um, and I do have a lot of gentle workouts in there with the resistance band that you can just kind of do in front of the TV if you really want to. Um, but there are some more, you know, shorter, intense interval workouts that if you start to feel like that's something you want to do, you could do that outside. Do anything that seems, you know, easy and accessible and like enjoyable. So this might be a time eventually, like you don't need to do that right now. But like, as you start to get back into it, maybe, maybe you're just not really into going to the gym and lifting three days a week anymore. You know, experiment with other things. Start see if it is a yoga class, see if it is going dancing, see if it is taking another class like body pump or, you know, whatever, Zumba or something and just having fun, you know, just kind of experimenting around seeing how you do and you don't have to do that three days a week. But, um, you know, I love it. I love I love the fact that when people kind of get out of the routine, they realize like, oh, there's other things I could be doing because sometimes we get so set in our routines that we forget that there's a lot of other options out there. And sometimes we can have a lot of fun doing other things. So use, you know, when you start to feel the push and the motivation, like, hmm, maybe I should try something. Um, it doesn't have to be going back to doing exactly what you're doing before. It can be a lot of different things. So we have a brand new offer from Paleo Valley to share with you that we are incredibly excited about. Paleo Valley not only offers grass-fed organ complex, a gently freeze-dried organ supplement in pill form that contains beef, liver, heart, brain, and kidney, they also offer high-quality snacks and collagen supplements on their website. Now, when you use the promotion code PaleoWomen at checkout, you'll get 30% off your entire order. You can try their grass-fed beef sticks, which are made from 100% grass-fed beef, preserved through a natural fermentation process that gives probiotics to the sticks, or their superfood bar, which is made with grass-fed collagen. To take advantage of this special deal, simply go to paleovalley.com and use the code PaleoWomen, all one word, no spaces, at checkout. Again, that's paleovalley.com. You can check the show notes for more information. So last question is from Kirsten. I have been working towards recovering from HA for four months now, exercising minimally, which means walking daily and doing yoga one to two times a week. I've also been eating much, much more, especially all the snacks like chocolate, nuts and ice cream, <laughs> because they're the easiest to get way more, way more calories in. I've worked my way up in BMI, but apparently I need to get it higher. I've heard and read from so many resources that in HA, the main thing our bodies need are calories, but it's not all that important from how for from how healthy or unhealthy foods those calories come from. I think Steph even once mentioned that someone she knew had gotten her period back by basically eating gummy bears all day or something similar. My question is, as we always talk about gut health and how that's the foundation of everything, then how can it be that these processed, sugary, or otherwise not too healthy foods that normally would mess our guts up can now be eaten freely and even help us get our periods back? If this brownie ice cream and cake chocolate diet is going, <laughs> sounds like a great diet, is going to bring my period back, will I pay for it later in some way? I'm sometimes feeling shaky and nervous. Uh, this is her second question. I sometimes feel shaky and nervous without a real reason for it. Sometimes I'm hungry when that happens, but not always. I can almost feel my adrenaline rushing, and I don't even know why. Any thoughts on this? Thank you. 
Yes, we have thoughts. Um, just so everybody knows, snacks was spelled with an X, which I <laughs> find endearing. Um, this is a great question. So if you have a gut health problem and you know you have a gut health problem, yes, I think that um, taking care of it is eminently important. I also think that if you can, focusing on gut enriching foods, you know, reasonably natural, reasonably healthy foods is the right like way to go, right? Like you're eating, would you say chocolate, nuts, ice cream, etc. Um, you can have versions of chocolate, nuts, and ice cream that are super healthy, right? You can get raw nuts. Um, you can get unprocessed chocolate. You can get a uh, coconut ice cream. And I think you'll probably like be pretty set to support your gut health. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, again, if, if your gut health is fine, then going off the you know rails and having, you know, deep fried X, Y, or Z at some point or pizza or what have you, uh, is, is probably is fine, you know? So all of which is to say, yes, I think you make a really good point that we should try to take care of our guts. <laughs> um, but also in hypothalamic amenorrhea, as I have mentioned and other people have talked about, calories are really important. Weight gain is really important. Um, and that's kind of like the most pressing thing for healing this specific hypothalamic amenorrhea issue. And your body's going to love it. Um, but it also, based on individual context, like again, if you have robust gut health, go for it. If you think that your gut health may be compromised in in eating like all the things, they need all the things in, you know, the moderately healthy way, in a healthy way that I mentioned, you know, get the high quality cake, the high quality chocolate, the high quality nuts, whatever you can, you know, fry your own stuff at home. Um, I think that that's probably like, you know, a reasonably safe way to go about it. You can buy the snacky stuff at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and feel pretty good about it. Um, I'm not sure if I have anything more specific to say on that front. Um, Noelle, am I missing something? No, and I think, you know, it's just an interesting thing to think about is like, why is this the thing that solves our health issues when it's technically, you know, quote unquote, these these unhealthy things that everybody warns us against. And so when we're talking about hypothalamic amenorrhea, we are saying, you know, it, there is some sort of imbalance in energy. And for many people, it's it's just about making the body feel safe and supplying it with sufficient and these ener energy dense sources of calories. And so it does also probably have some sort of mental and emotional component there where you're just kind of relaxing and you're not being super restrictive and you just kind of like eat, you know, you're able to eat more and you're able to eat a lot of it. And so that's all that plays into it. Now, long term, are you going to have any detrimental health of, uh, you know, effects? Well, if you have some sort of sensitivity or intolerance to, you know, dairy or gluten, um, or if you have an autoimmune condition, for example, that's perpetuated and made worse by certain foods, then that may not make you feel really well or can lead to detrimental health effects long term. But if you're not, I, you know, I would still do eat in a way that that you enjoy and feels right for you. But don't be afraid to kind of experiment and go outside your comfort zone. It seems like you're doing that. You know, it seems like if you're doing the ice cream, you know, for me, I love me some coconut milk ice cream. 
the Nadamu stuff just happens to be my favorite. And so, you know, if you're going out and getting a couple of cartons of that and you, you know, you're eating um, ice cream and you're doing a little bit of whatever, like Stephanie said, um, a certain homemade treats or whatever, then I think that's a great place to start and to continue to kind of work on that. It's a slow process. I know it's been four months, but um, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a ton of time. So stay on the path. Um, I think it was Maddie Moon, too. She wrote an, a blog post at one point that was like, I, I finally ate a sandwich and I got my period back. And for her, it was just this kind of realization of like, she had always kind of had it in her mind that bread and sandwiches were not healthy, you know, not paleo, quote unquote. And so finally, it's just she just was like, whatever, and like ate a sandwich and she got her period back. So I think it's sometimes also wrapped into the mental, emotional component of things. And there's a lot that works in there. And um but yeah, I mean, do what works for you and continue to kind of just go with the flow, try to um, increase your calories, your energy intake and until it happens, it will happen. So, yeah. And the thing about being shaky and nervous. Um, yeah, this I think is uh, not completely out of the ordinary, you know, for hypothalamic amenorrhea and recovering from it. Um your blood sugar is probably bouncing around more than your body is used to. And uh, your adrenal glands sort of getting a little bit hyperactive in response, I, I think is, um, you know, not altogether surprising. You know, all the sweets, I think, yeah, they could definitely be having this kind of an effect on you. A lot of people I know, um, when their blood sugar levels are dropping, will get kind of shaky. Um so that being said, yeah, maybe you do want to lean a little bit, you know, slightly more paleo-ish um, or uh, just make sure that you're getting, you know, plenty of fiber and healthy stuff along with the snacks that you're eating. Um, yeah, I I don't want to say that it's normal or OK to experience this. It is kind of normal and OK, and I don't think it's necessarily indicative of a huge underlying health problem. I would keep my eye on it, though, you know, make sure it's not getting worse. Um, and I do think that it's probably the blood sugar stuff that's that's making it happen. So um, it should even out in time. And also, of course, um, doing what you can to eat healthfully and again, to make sure that you have the accompanying um, fiber and fruits and vegetables and stuff should also help. Yeah, I would just recommend really tracking that. So while you're you're on this kind of journey of this is my priority, getting my period back, I have HA, you know, I, I need to continue to get more calories in um, and experiment with those. I would I would really make sure you're taking notes on things and saying like, this is where, you know, I ate this and then I, I felt shaky and trying to correlate that back maybe a day or two, you know, or even just before. What did you eat just before that happened? And then look for similarities. So knowledge is power. Just make sure you're tracking it, seeing if there's some sort of correlation, even seeing if there's some sort of mental and emotional component involved with that. Um, seeing if there, you know, there's a life thing that happens that causes it. Um, 
it does sound sort of blood sugar related. The fact that you're nervous is interesting. Um, I can tell you I've definitely felt a little shaky at certain points throughout my pregnancy, but it hasn't been blood sugar related. So the nervousness is interesting. Um, it, it could be caused by a number of things. I would only just say make sure you track it and, um, and, and see if you can maybe correlate that. And if, if you really are interested, you just get a glucometer and you can take your blood glucose and see exactly what's happening at that moment. If it's low, if it's high and adjust accordingly, um, based on what it was that you ate and, um, you know, including that in, in your diet again, um, or not. So, so yeah. I think that's it yeah me too okay um for more from me go to coconutsincatables.com for more from steffi go to paleoforwomen.com be sure to follow us on the instagram at paleo women podcast where we post lots of fun things and send us your questions pretty please you can send them to paleo women podcast at gmail.com we will talk to you next week <laughs>